This is The Scoop, the podcast that takes you inside Saskatchewan politics, from the headlines to the back rooms. Here's former Saskatchewan Party Cabinet Minister Kevin Doherty, NDP insider Sally Hauser, and me, Dale Richardson. Okay, welcome back to The Scoop podcast. This is everybody's favorite podcast, and we're very thankful to all the people that, that listen to this podcast. Uh, we, we very much appreciate it. As always, almost always, I, I say as always, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. But uh, today I, I'm here with my great friend, Sally Hauser. Sally, great to see you. I know you have some some nomination news to share in a moment, but uh, but before we get to that, it's, ni- it's nice, to, nice to see you. It is always an absolute delight to be here. Great. And today, unfortunately, Kevin Doherty can't be with us, but filling in once again, Sam, you... I think you've maybe been on here almost 10 times now, I bet, filling in for Kevin. Do you think that's right? feels like a lot longer. I think it feel, so. It's felt like longer? It feels like I've been here the whole time. <laughs> Always. Well, I'm not sure what that says. Not too long, though. Yeah, of course. Samantha Yaholnitsky is with us. Of course, this is who I'm, I'm talking to here. So, Sam, thanks for thanks for filling in and great to see you as always. And I know that you have you have lots going on in Saskatoon with your with your practice with your business. So, thanks for doing this, and yeah, it's nice to see nice to see both of you. Yeah, it's like a, a little belated Valentine's Day gift. Better than flowers. Yes, doing the Scoop podcast better than Valentine's Day. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, we have a lot to talk about today, and we're actually going to talk about all the stuff that that I have lined up. So, which which was not the case last week, but anyway. We we are going to get to everything that I that I have on my list here. So very much looking forward to it. First of all, don't forget people to sign up for the Scoop Political Briefing newsletter. We're still on the three times a week newsletter, but once session starts in a couple of weeks here, we our hope is to send that out every day to folks. So it's a short, it's kind of a mix between a media scan and I'm not sure what, but you know, there's some top media stories, but also we want to keep people up to date on on stuff behind the news, you know, behind the news pages. So there'll be things like nominations and nomination meetings that have been scheduled and the types of advert, you know, the the types of advertising that the parties are doing and what they're doing on social media and kind of the the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't maybe get covered in the Regina Leader Post or or seen on CTV News. So sign up there there's a link in the show notes for people to click and just sign up with your email address. And uh, so, yeah, please do that. Speaking of nominations, okay, Laura Ross will be, she'll be acclaimed, cabinet minister for the SAS party, Laura Ross, she'll be acclaimed in Regina Rochdale tonight. That's Thursday. So by the time this comes out Friday morning, she'll be, she'll be acclaimed. And as well for the Saskatchewan party, a couple of pretty, well, I think constituencies that people are watching more now Yorkton has been scheduled for March 7th. So that, there's three candidates that are going to be running there. Of, of course, uh, uh, Greg Ottenbright, longtime MLA for Yorkton, he's not running in this election. So that's, that seems to be a hotly contested race. And uh, we, we know at least one of the candidates. And uh, But anyway, that's going to be a lot of people are watching that one. So, And then Cutknife Turtleford, of, of course, Ryan Dometer, with his situation, he... 
was turfed by the party. So that nomination meeting to replace him is scheduled for March 11th. So that was that meeting, that date was just announced this week. So in addition, you know, with the departures that we discussed last week with the four cabinet ministers and a number of other seats, there's people are starting to to line up. Lots of new candidates coming forward for Saskatoon Southeast. You guys that I've seen at least in the last week, our friends at Saskatoon, it's 2024. They've Shared a news about a couple of candidates that are have their name out there, so that's good to see. And and then White City White City Quapel, which is Don McMorris's constituency or where he would run if he was going to run again. Yeah, lots of people putting their name out there, or or will be, I guess, officially soon. So lots going on there for the NDP. Saskatoon Riversdale and Saskatoon Willow Grove are scheduled for February twenty sixth and twenty seventh. And Sally, go ahead. We'd love to hear about your nomination. Yeah, well, for for Regina University, long awaited here on the Scoop podcast, at least, we're looking at, well, not looking at, in fact, it's been confirmed, the evening of March 21st will be the nomination meeting for Regina University. So that's that's really exciting. I'll give my, my kind of final little pitch if you would like to be if you live in Regina University and would like to be able to vote for me in the nomination race, you have until February 20th to sign up oh, as a member. Four uh, we days. have a kind of a month cutoff, cutoff, cutoff date. So I'm, I'm in the final push here, here now for new membership sales. And then once that kind of cutoff happens, it's just convincing everybody that's on that list that I'm their gal. Right. So, and it's still, at least at this point, Sally, you and two other candidates, is that correct? that are going to be on the ballot? Correct. All right. Well, that's good. That's good that there's interest, you know? I mean, it would be nice for you if there was no interest other other than, you know, for you and you were just the only candidate. You know but, what? I think it's great. You know, Honestly, good. contested nominations in terms of uh, growing the membership number and right now kind of the ability to, you know, sign up new members and engage people into the party is is pretty awesome so uh, yeah it's it's good for the party in general good all right last episode at the beginning we, we talked a bit about federal politics and, and and there were some really funny funny things that happened this week so the, so the three of us we just thought we'd, we'd have a bit of a laugh about but some some of the federal political things that have happened in the this week so maybe first of all sally the federal government they, they have attempted to rebrand the carbon t- tax rebate from I think they called it the climate I don't even know what they called it if I'm honest the climate something incentive and they're now calling it the Canada carbon rebate will this move Sally based on all of your years of experience and expertise <laughs> is this going to work for them in their favor for the federal government the liberals I mean it- it's like 15 years too fucking late part of my language but they I mean they lost the battle on the carbon tax, the second, I mean, even, you know, so long ago that it was branded as such. And then they just kind of gave up on it. You know what I mean? Like I said, we're well over a decade into that now where, you know, they just kind of gave up. Oh, it's the carbon tax, I guess. And we're just, you know, uh, I guess we'll just let it be called that forever in a day. And the idea that they're And also, you know, like announcing that we're trying to reframe things is never, 
kind of the way to go about it. You want to do it in a more subtle way within your branding, how it's used in press releases, announcing that like, you know what, I know everybody's calling it this, but uh, we're just going to call it something else is not probably the the smartest communications uh, way to go about it. But again, you know, at this point, you just try to own it, I suppose. Yeah, I don't, it won't make a lick of difference. And in many ways, I think might do them some harm. Yeah, and there's no change to the actual policy itself, of course. So, I mean, it's just changing the name of the of the of the money that, that people get back. Sam, you grew up in Montgomery in Saskatoon on the on the kind of far west end of the city. Are, are folks in Montgomery going to see this and kind of change their minds and go, "Oh, this is great. I I'm fully in favor of this policy now." Tell me, tell me what people in your <laughs> old neighborhood are thinking. Well, Sally's right. It's 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 way too late. It's kind of like taking the clap on clap off and bringing it back and saying now it's three claps on and three claps off. And it's like that much more exciting and interesting. Like my God, I cannot wait to clap for this. I don't think anybody in Montgomery is clapping for it. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who know what this is costing them regardless. And they just look at the, the rebate or whatever you want to call it as a, just a shell game and moving money around. And I really don't think it's changing any channels. I don't think it was a real, of all the look a bear things that they could have done, this was not a real sexy one. However, seeing Stephen Guibault yeah. in his orange coveralls again in the news was was pretty great this week. Yeah, I was I was gonna, that was the next thing I was going to bring up. I, I, I guess the federal government they they don't want to help build roads anymore. So that's oh man, what a what a situation. Not good, Sam. Any, any thoughts on that? I guess I mean it's pretty clear how silly it is. And of course, Minister Guibault tried to walk it back, but he's the type of guy where. He really doesn't, even when he tries to walk things back that he says, he it's half-hearted because what he says he typically means, I think, right? Well, yeah, I think if if he walks like a duck and talks like a duck, he probably is a duck. And, you know, if he wants to see roads not being built anymore and people walking and, you know, God forbid we put a farm tractor on a road in Saskatchewan or a heavy haul truck going anywhere anymore to get things out of our province, well, that's just fine, I guess, right? If you live in in uh, the Laurentians, but <laughs> you know, I think it was just really great fodder for all the people who already oppose the Liberals and much of their kind of environmental perspective. You know, I've seen the Heavy Construction Association, Regina Economic Development Association, particularly here in Saskatchewan. You know, a lot of people are having a, a field day with it, and rightfully so. And you know. The logical part of me does understand when he clarified his statement that, you know, it's not, we're not looking to do a lot more larger projects. It fits with what they're trying to do in terms of reducing our carbon footprint and, you know, trying to do more things for the environment. And so I get that, but uh, I don't know who was asleep at the wheel and how they ever let this come out the way they did. But if that was the way they thought they were going to change the channel on some of the rest of the things that they're struggling with. Maybe they won, but I, I don't think so. I think they, they look even worse than they already do. Sally, as a comms professional, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure as everybody does in politics, they have to deal with some, you know, minister or, or one of the MLAs or MPs that says something really dumb. Take me just really quickly behind the scenes on something like this, where you have a minister, a minister of the crown saying that they're that the you know major funder you know that the federal government has incredible spending power they're not going to they're not going to support the building of roads anymore in Canada how do you walk that back tell me 
Well, I mean, first of all, I, I have to say their strategy around this, and particularly with this Minister Gibault, is um, mystifying, mind-boggling. I just, I do not, I cannot see where a logical strategy is coming around his ministry right mm. now. It's almost like once a week they send him out to say, like, just go piss off as many people outside of downtown Toronto and Montreal as you can. Just, you know, go nuts. Say whatever wingnut, wingnut shit. Oh, we're not going to build roads anymore. Just, you know, do that, right? Like, why? why? Yeah. <laughs> that's obviously we know. We know that that's not, you know, when he tried to walk it back, when you talk about the bill and everything like that, that's, you know, obviously not the goal. But it sure seems like that. And if you're yeah. going to do something so controversial as weigh, weighing in to to funding major infrastructure in the country. And we all know that everywhere in Canada, we are in a major infrastructure deficit. And this is across the board for provinces and, and federal. We have stuff built in the 60s that are absolutely crumbling all across the country. So to, to come out and, and talk about it like this, when there's actually a need, a massive need, if we're going to keep this country moving in any way, shape, or form uh, to work on that transportation infrastructure, right, is, yeah, but it, it just seems like that I, I don't understand that there hasn't been a rain on the minister of like, hey, listen, every single time he goes out, we lose votes. Maybe we should lock this down right. a little bit. And I'm not convinced in any way, shape or form that the votes being lost in Atlantic Canada and Northern Ontario and Northern Quebec in the entire prairies and in Northern BC are worth the seats. I don't, I don't believe they're gaining votes in urban centers. So I just, yeah. again, I'm mystified. I just do not understand why every week it seems like the minister just comes out and it's like, yeah, just, you know, just piss a lot of people off. Well, our colleagues on the Curse of Politics podcast, they've talked a bit about this, that, that the only reason that most people believe that he Gibo is still in cabinet is because people in Quebec like him and his particular po viewpoints, the way that he, you know, the way that he approaches politics, you know, from the climate perspective is people in Quebec, they really like that. So maybe this is something to kind of keep, keep, you know, Quebec voters voting liberal, but I, I don't it clearly, but, it, but his comments were about not funding one of the highway projects in Quebec. So I, anyway, I'm not, I don't really know what, what's going on there, but that for sure was, was of interest to many people. So there you have it. The Scoop Podcast is supported by our title sponsor, the Saskatchewan Heavy Construction Association. The Saskatchewan Heavy Construction Association is proud of the work its members do to maintain and build the infrastructure vital to the growth of this province. Long-term, multi-year investments in provincial infrastructure is key to the province reaching its potential growth targets. But Saskatchewan is not keeping up. Here in Saskatchewan, we need to keep up with our provincial neighbours to the west and the east and make the commitment towards long-term budget planning for our industry. Commitment to long-term planning means that our industry members can invest in new equipment, retain current employees, and bring in new workers for the heavy construction sector. Planning forward gives our members the ability to meet the demands that a growing population and economy need to prosper. 
Saskatchewan needs to keep up, starting with a commitment to long-term provincial budget planning for the industry. Learn more at saskheavy.ca. All right, let's get into it here. But yeah, interesting week federally, <laughs> as it always is. Okay, let's talk about the about the teachers up teacher strike and everything that's going on here. And and I kind of want to take this from a bit of a different angle. I really want us to talk about the what what has worked and what hasn't from both the, T- the teachers federation and the government side to get us to where we are right now in term and especially you know I think in terms of tactics I think it, particularly now maybe a week ago I think things were at least back even I I think getting the teachers back to the bargaining table was balance things off it sh- the government was was showing a bit of flexibility with a with a new offer I think now with with what happened this week with you know things breaking down again uh, I think things have gone maybe back to the advantage of the STF on this whole thing. But I, I'd really, it's just to give a little bit of update, I'm sure everybody knows this, but so yeah, talks have broken down. Teachers are going to strike again tomorrow on, on Friday in two, two of the school districts. Lunchtime supervision across the province is going to, is going to also be pulled on, on Friday. Uh, and so that's where things are at. First of all, we talked a lot on this program about the rolling strikes, the job action, about keeping it in the media at the maximum possible level with the minimum amount of disruption. The, the kind of the day long strikes, uh, the the job action at lunch, which, you know, I think is, is brilliant. But we, I, I feel like we've canvassed that a little bit in terms of tactics. Their comms is just way sharper than the government. It's way faster. In terms of tactics, they're getting out. We, you know, I've said in issues management and communications before that speed kills. And we say that kind of in terms of speed kills a story. But if the way that media works now, you are out more quickly or you are out with your narrative faster, that's what gets in the story at the front of the story. And then the second person that the media talks to as the bottom end of the story. And that has nothing to do with the SAS party or the Teachers Federation. That's essentially been since the advent of the internet and having to file for web that has existed in, in, in Canadian and really North American media. So when we had the most recent debacle, I suppose, whatever you want to call it, with the minister coming out and saying, you know, we're we're here at the table and the teacher walked away and having the Teachers Federation standing in the room that they had blocked for two days for negotiations saying, we are here, the government team is not here, no idea where the minister is, not even, you know, in the same city, and being able to get their message across that you know, the government saying we're not here to negotiate when they came in and basically gave the same offer that they did in May, didn't show up till one on one day, were given no power by the government to actually negotiate any of the terms and then split early. And the set, the STF was able to get their message of that across way more efficiently, um, way quicker, and that the media actually bought versus what the government did, where people simply were not picking up what they're laying down and seeming untrustworthy. Yeah. No, no, I, Sally, I, I think that's all That's all absolutely correct. I mean, uh, as I've said, when you read the stories about about this issue, it's the, the STF, they're at the top, exactly as you say. So, Sam, on, on this one, I, I, I mean, how does the government, what do they need to do to kind of pull 
pull things back even in term in terms of communications. And you know, if if Kevin were here, he would probably you know talk about government and how they don't have just one issue to deal with. That there's lots of things going on in government that they're trying to put the finishing touches on, on their budget, and there's a bunch of other ministries and issues going on. But, but this, at least publicly, I think for sure is the top issue that keeps, keeps being in the news, and people are are definitely talking about. So, what does the government need to do, or what can they do to at least pull things back even, and 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 get on top of this? Government. I would say I'd agree uh, that they are f- far behind in terms of their speed and their reaction time on a lot of this. But a big part of me wonders whether it is a tactic. You know, you're not wrong that they do have plenty of other things going on. Perhaps this whole thing, I mean, it's dominating the Evan Bray show every day. I listen to it. It's, you know, two or three news articles a day everywhere you look. So, you know, is that giving them cover for other things that they don't want people looking at? I don't know that that's a bad thing for them right now. I think that there's probably a number of other warts that are floating around and and those aren't being talked about and given the air. I also think that it could perhaps be a tactic to just sit back and let the STF own the airwaves right now you know, they're just essentially filling the air. I don't know that they're actually saying a lot of things of substance. They don't want to be nailed down on a lot of things, including wages and some of those things. I heard Samantha the other day, and she really didn't give an answer when she was asked the question about it. The other thing that I think that the party already did, and and it, you know, was really quite rejected by at least people in the media, and I think the STF was, they announced the pilot project where you would move some some of the more challenged kids and the kids who need a little bit more time with their teachers into in the same school but in their own area and I just think that there's potentially more merit to that than was ever given credit for and I think that if that could be a a project that is proven we don't know if it will be successful or not but I think that there's opportunity for that to actually be a great marker and and a template going forward that could work it also could mean that teacher resources aren't being used up the way they are now and teachers can actually focus on what they need to in their classrooms and the kids are still going to have a chance to engage with one another and it's just less disruption so there are some pieces out there i just don't know if the party's in a hurry to put this to bed frankly yeah the the premier on his accounts at least social media accounts they've been pumping out content because it's i think it's teacher teacher appreciation week this week so they've been highlighting at least from their perspective lots of the the programs and the and the and the things in education that they that they've been announcing, but you know, Sam, just coming back to one of the th- one of the things you said, I don't, I don't know why. From if the government's tactic, if their approach is to let the STF just take over the airwaves, I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me because I mean, I mean, the three of us know very well the the state of journalism and media, and it is essentially these days for the kind of let's call it the mainstream media. They will take whatever you give them, and they will most likely publish publish it. So, I I, I mean, if they're just if they're just not fighting that battle, it's I I don't understand it. But I think yeah, I'm I'm not really sure what to think about it. But the one the, the, I just I the, can't I can't think ahead. I can't come up with any other logical reasons for their really kind of failure on a lot of this and communicating on it. You know, maybe they're waiting for the SDF to step on their dick. I don't know. But it, it, I really, <laughs> I, I, I've i been thinking a lot on, about this. And I'm like, I the can't SDF, come up with... The SDF stepping on their own dick or the government's dick. Oh, on their own. I okay. think I think government, I think we've established that government is also already stepping on their own dick. So I guess there's a lot of dick <laughs> stepping in this episode. 
Okay, la- <laughs> okay last, last question that, that I have, and Sally, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go to you on this quickly and then to Sam. Let's, let's imagine a scenario where the, where the government announces or they, they present to the, to the STF's bargaining committee or however they operate on the STF side, that they're going to have a new contract offer, a new compensation offer, slightly larger than, this, than the original 7%, let's say 10, right? And they're also going to negotiate on the classroom size and, and complexity. It, they just say that they're going to negotiate on it. Is that going to be enough to to genuinely move things forward, or do you think that that for the STF that they're going to ha- have demands that it, it must be the threshold for this and this and this for all three items? This, Tell me, this is this is where no, I find it no. frustrating. It just seems like for the STF, it's an absolute zero sum game. It's either all of this is on the table or none of it's on the table. There's no flexibility there. And, and whatever the government has put up, whether they agree with it or not, it's it's just not entering into their thought process. And it's it's got to be classroom size and all these other things. I think that the government made a smart move when they offered the pilot project. And I think that that could have been something to grab onto to allow the rest of the conversations to move forward and maybe even just put a time pause on the classroom size issue so that they could talk about the other things that are just as important. Um, so I, uh, that's my thought on it. Sally, what do you think here? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if the government came back and said, we're willing to negotiate on the things that the the teachers have said we would like to negotiate on, yes, that that would absolutely move things forward. Hypothetically, in the past, Dale, you've said just, you know, you've, you've, you know, invented, uh, you know, with the, if the government came back with a a talk on salary, would the teachers be able, or for instance, if the, if the government came back with something on salary and also complexity, but not necessarily size or, or also size, but not necessarily complexity, that's actually what negotiation is. Not coming back and here six months later is we are unwilling to budge on anything that we said six months ago. And, you know, the pilot project stuff, I had to laugh at Scott Moe tweeting about the $400,000 in nine different classrooms, half of what it cost the junket to Dubai as some kind of stopgap that this is what we're doing to fix education in the province. $400,000, way less than half of the giant get to Dubai. And this is something he was like, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. After that, uh, people are just going, come on, man. That's like a rounding error in a budget. And this is what you're saying. This is what you're touting as our big thing. The big thing we've changed in six months. It's It's nonsense. I don't know if they've touted it as as the big thing, but isn't it at least something, right? It, something's better than nothing. I mean, to to to, to <laughs> it's a well, poultry. Well, no, but genu- yeah. but genuinely though, it's right? Like to, to, of, to say- of six of six months of six months, less than half a million dollars. You know, I mean, ultimately, it's not it's not cut. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I guess I just wonder to 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 Sam's point is if if the government let, let's say hypothetically they come and they say new offer on compensation, it's up a little bit. And here's here's what we're going to offer on classroom complexity and size. Will you know? Will there be a middle ground met there, or is does the F or is the does the STF gonna are they going to have a number where no it needs? I to mean, be I this. think absolutely, but right. you keep bringing up the hypotheticals on the show that the government just doesn't do. 
I think absolutely. If they come with a willing to bend and negotiate, that the teachers' federation will will do that. Right, but but what is the point of of you know trying to find a common deal if they know? That the STF is just no. We have a we have numbers in our head, and if the government isn't going to offer that or even consider it, we're not even coming to the table, right? And that's where I think things could could shift back to the government side. But I mean, it's, it's the opposite. Is the opposite is what's happening? Is the government like the you know the STF wants this issue, this the issue, this issue, less kind of specific numbers around complexity and size. And the government is coming back and being like, you know, here's a 400 grand pilot project in nine classrooms. That is the only difference than what we've offered six months ago. I think those are different things. All right. This episode of the podcast is supported by SUMA, the Saskatchewan Urban Municipalities Association. SUMA represents more than 440 urban governments. That's over 80% of Saskatchewan. SUMA has been here since 1905, advancing collective member interests with various government bodies, improving local governance, and fostering municipal growth. SUMA's key advocacy pieces are mental health and addictions, homelessness, and PST on municipal construction projects, among other matters. Learn more about SUMA's efforts at SUMA.org. SUMA helps with capacity building, and one of those ways is through the annual SUMA Convention and Trade Show. Over a thousand people, including municipal leaders, provincial officials, trade show exhibitors, and educational experts from across the province come together. It's a birthplace of strong advocacy where communities connect, reinvigorate their governance practices, and advance their interests. The 2024 convention theme is Refresh, Renew, Refocus, highlighting SUMA's member engagement and increased community connections. Interested in becoming a sponsor at the trade show? Find out more at SUMA.org. That's www.suma.org. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to our last topic, and uh, it's going to be a good one, I think. So headwinds is is something that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of days and last couple of weeks, as uh, I, I think many who are following politics in this province have been. Lots of headwinds facing facing the government right now, and with the, with the premier and his team. Uh, you know, here's just some of them. The the Incitrix poll that came out last week that we we were not a part of that that poll is one that Incitrix did on their own. We weren't part of that one, but it showed very close. And in, in, in fact, the NDP leading leading by a couple of points, right? Teachers and kind of general labor unrest. Although you know, we've talked about some of the new contracts and deals that the that the government has signed or that the crowns have signed with with some of the. Uh, mostly private sector unions, social services, hotel issue in Regina, that's, you know, keeps popping up. So lots of headwinds facing the government based on some of the things we've heard from Sally over the last few weeks and just some folks with the NDP that I talked to. I think folks in the NDP definitely feel like like they have the wind at their back a little bit these days, just based on a, on a number of things that I just went through. So Sam, just coming to you on this. I mean, I I, I think um, maybe you disagree with me on 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 any of that, but I'd love your thoughts on what if you were advising the team, the government right now. I, I mean, one of the things about governing, and this happened when I was a staffer a couple times, as I'm sure it did when you were around, was there's there are blips, right? There's tough times, and when things look you know pretty dire or things are 
things are look troublesome. So, but if you were advising the government right now, what's, what's again, kind of on the path forward, what would you, what's a couple of things that you would tell them you got to do this and this and this to, to move forward right now? Yeah, that's a damn good, big, big question, Dale, coming in with the big questions on Thursday. I, so the first thing that comes to mind, you know, most people who know me know that I'm a pretty partisan person. I've always been a party member and, you know, I've gone to convention. I help out in nominations, been part of elections. And yeah, SAS party is government, but the Saskatchewan party is also a party that has members. And I think that you can only focus so much on the polling and the issues. I think that they need to look inside to the party a little bit. And I think given that we've got 14 MLAs who aren't going to be coming back, you know, many of whom are doing it of their own accord, but some who had no choice. Renewal's been foisted on the party, whether they like it or not. And the other thing that's going on in those headwinds is that I think across the country and for sure here, you know, provincially and municipally, there's a change uh, election coming, I think, across the board. And when you're the incumbents and you've got 16, 17, 18 years of record hanging around your neck, it's a lot harder to be on the offense. You're, you're inherently on the defense. And so if I were the Saskatchewan party, you know, and the brain trust, I'd be looking for some pretty innovative and interesting things to change the conversation or at least reinvigorate people's imagination, the base for sure. And, you know, they've spent a lot of time shoring up their base support in the rural areas and that's well and good, but the cities are where they're hurting. And, and I think that there are a number of places that they can look for some inspiration. You know, I just saw a recent poll that showed that a lot of people across the country really actually support and identify with the housing plan that Pierre Polyev is putting forward politics Mm -hmm. aside, it's really resonating. And some of those policies within that are very interesting. And it's something that I've even said, I think, on this show that tying infrastructure money or municipal revenue sharing provincially to dealing with the housing shortage, that's a big piece. That's, you know, as much as teachers are in the news, so is housing and affordability. You know, Danielle Smith is doing something pretty interesting with their healthcare system, just, you know, across the border. And whether you think that that's a good thing or not, it's interesting. And it's a major part of every person's day-to-day life. And so I'd, I'd be looking for those innovation pieces. You know, obviously there's still going to be the things we need to talk about, like getting our resources out and agriculture. And, you know, I think there's some interest in continuing to support our tech industry and stuff, but I, I'd be looking for those, those bigger ideas or to be part of the change, not, you know, against it. Hmm. Sally, I'm, I'm sure you would agree with me that the NDP, I, I mean, I can tell that you feel this way based on how, how you've been on the podcast the last few weeks, but I think safe to say that folks in the NDP feel like like things are going uh, their way. I mean, it's always nice to have a have a couple polls that that show, you know, momentum and things things looking definitely brighter. So tell me about the you know, the based on that though, the the challenges and and kind of what's to come for for the party in these next 8 months. I mean, a kind of a big wild card wild card for me is Carla Beck, I mean, as as we've talked a lot about, the, the SAS party has not really focused much of their time on her. And to her credit, I, I think she has avoided a lot of the pitfalls that some of the previous previous leaders for the NDP have, have kind of fallen into. But what's the, in, in terms of continuing the momentum, what's, what's the number one thing at the top of the list for the party going for these next eight months? What is it? Well, you want, you want to make hay while the sun shines, right? Mm-hmm. 
that's that's absolutely it. And I think they're doing uh, a great job of attacking on all fronts. Obviously, like we say, you've oh, got good. the the teachers on the one side, but you've got you know Mira Conway, who's who's been just hammering away at this motel story of the government kind of you know inflating charges for one of their own their own members, which you know doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's that type of kind of corruption that people just really seize on and do not like, right? It's kind of like the $16 orange juice versus, you know, whatever kind of millions that is, is or, or that the healthcare and education costs, right? So you have that level of thing. And then at the same time, you know, the wind in the sails is felt not just kind of in terms of media coverage or polling, but it's felt in terms of fundraising, in terms of membership sales and things like that. So, mm. you know, at the party level, making sure that every time that, you know, there's there's a new story going uh, where the government looks terrible, that we get that out to people and going like, you know, you don't like this, you want to change this, you know what, we need money and we need more members. Let's Let's get on that. It's using these this period as recruitment tools for people that are going to help you win in the next election and just kind of on the on the flip side of it you know i've been in you know the the last days of the the manitoba government uh which i think was about 14 years or something along those lines you get to a point where uh, and you feel like it, and this is, you know, this is by no means unique to a conservative government or a new Democrat government or a liberal government. You get to a point where no matter what you do, you feel like you just can't win. And that really sucks, man. You, It really sucks if you go out and you make like, you know, these infrastructure announcements or funding for this or funding for that. And people are still basically like, go fuck yourself. That gets to really hurt, right? And it's demoralizing. And kind of when you get to that phase where nothing you are putting out, people are picking up, that sucks. I'm not saying necessarily that that's where the the staff party is right now, but I'd agree with Sam of like, we're going to look to something, people going like, you know, what have you done? You know, what's, what could I get excited about? Mm-hmm. wasn't what wasn't mean spirited what wasn't you know what could i what was positive what is a positive news story that you as a government are coming out with and that's that's where i think they're lacking well you know we talked in in the episode before christmas about po- policy surprises you know for for the both sides right what what can both the SAS party and the NDP do in 2024 that that will surprise voters in this province and do it positively. Right. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. And it kind of fits into some of the stuff Sam was talking about in terms of policy, you know, what, what, what will make people, you know, with announcements, what'll make people kind of perk up and go, Oh, okay. Wasn't expecting that from Scott Moe. Right. I think, I think that'll be a very interesting thing to watch. And just, just, it, two more thoughts and, and then we'll wrap up here is, you know, I last, and I know we, it was the Christmas break in January and they are, they are trying to pass their budget or, or figure out, put the final touches on the budget. And most of the education stuff has been, been with the minister, but the premier, he's been pretty quiet and he's, he's definitely been, been, you know, behind the scenes recently. And, you know, for those people who just don't like Scott Moe in this province, they are, they're still in the minority. I mean, at least based on, polling we've seen so from the SAS party's perspective i would i would be watching to get him out you know more in front of the parade and and of course that'll 
that'll happen just as a, you know, as a natural result of, of session being, you know, happening in March, but he is still their, their strongest asset. And there's a reason why he's been at the, at the top of the, you know, you know, premier's approval rankings for a long time, or at least near the top. So I, I would be watching for him to get out there. And the other thing I'll just say is um, at some point, and maybe this tank, maybe this will sh- will shift. But as I said, SAS Party hasn't really spent much time targeting Carla Beck, and I don't know if they'll go after her personally. I don't think that that's an attack that works. You know, the going after a woman leader, I, I, I I'm un- I'm uncomfortable about that. But they're going to draw her into some policy debates and and you know positions on those types of issues, and in terms of how the NDP and their party members feel about certain things. So that's going to happen at some point. Obviously it's going to happen during the election, but that's, that's something that I would be looking for as well. So a couple of things there, but definitely, yeah, it feels like uh, wind is at least, at least at this moment at the backs of the NDP for the, for the time being. So anyway, all right. Well, not to take people behind the scenes too much here, but we, we we did have a few more technical issues on this on this episode. So I just want to <laughs> say thanks to Sally and to Sam for for dealing with that. And yeah, for the most part, for, for this for the scoop, as long as we've done it, which is almost I think 95, 95 episodes or wow. around there. Wow, it's uh, things have been smooth we sailing. We find out if we're like, are we coming up to Ooh. our hundredth at some point? I'm pretty, oh I'm pretty sure we're at ninety five. This one will be or ninety four, wow. ninety six, maybe. But yeah, right around there. So anyway. Oh, for the most part, it's been birthday suits for the hundredth episode. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's all to say. So thanks, Sally and and Sam and uh, Sam. Thanks for filling in. It's uh, it was great to see you. And I I love coming here. And uh, you know, Sally's on the show with me. And Sally usually has a really great quip or a thought to end with. And I I want to do that today. I've actually <laughs> had Sally help me do some events and to encourage women to seek political office. I know our provincial nomination window is coming to a close. But I can tell you that there's plenty of opportunity at the municipal and school board levels. And I'm trying to do more events. And I just encourage not just the women out there, but those men and and all the other people to give somebody some money, help them sell some memberships, ask them five times because women need to be asked more. But if you're sitting on the sidelines out there, ladies, get in touch. Me and Sally would be certainly happy to talk to you. But let's get to business. Chicks in charge. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all I'll do is echo that. That's great. Thanks, Sam. Cool. All right. Well, thanks as always to our title sponsor, the the Saskatchewan Heavy Construction Association, Chantelle Lip and her her team there. They're they've been wonderful, fantastic supporters of this podcast. So as always, want to say thanks to them as well as to our sponsor, Suma, uh, this month. So also a wonderful group there. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. We will be back next week and, and Kevin will be here and Sam, unfortunately you won't be, but we'll see wah, Sally wah. and Kevin and and everybody else next week. This has been The Scoop. Kevin Doherty is a senior strategy advisor at Prairie Sky Strategy. You can learn more about his work at prairieskystrategy.ca. Sally Hauser is the senior manager of public affairs for Canadian Strategy Group. You can learn more about her work at canadianstrategy.com. That's cdnstrategy.com. And I'm a podcaster and public affairs professional. You can learn more about my work at 306mediaproductions.ca or just look me up on LinkedIn. The Scoop is made by my podcast production company, 306 Media Productions. If you like this podcast, don't forget to follow it in your favorite podcast app. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 
and all major podcast apps. Thanks for listening to The Scoop.